0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you and my greetings from the Troy campus and Pastor Chris. And uh, it's just a joy to be here to open up the Word of God with you and to study it along with you. Please, uh, as we just read the scripture, I do hope that you open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4 to follow along or your electronic device. Either one one works. But uh, today's title is, How Do We Keep the Faith? How do we keep the faith? And I want to give you a little roadmap of where we're going. Um, the big idea is this. To keep the faith, you must watch your life and your doctrine closely. Well, how do we do that? Well, three things as we kind of preview what, uh, what I'm going to share today. We affirm what is good. We train ourselves in godliness. And we are consistent in our devotion to Scripture. Now, as we begin to dig into this, think about this for a moment. Here is a young pastor, Timothy, who's been mentored by the Apostle Paul. And here's this church in Ephesus. As Paul was very wise to what was going on through his journeys as the church was being planted, he knew through his experience in Ephesus, but also through his experience at the other churches, that as people would come to believe in Jesus Christ, and as the New Testament church would be formed and it would grow, what would also happen is the church would become a bit of an anomaly. Others would come in, and they would want to discover what what is going on. Why are these people following a dead man who they claim has risen again? Why are these people doing things like, uh, studying, teaching, and sharing all things that they have in common. Why are they fasting and praying together and, and what's going on? And, and some would have come in and they would have thought, well, this is, this is great. This is great. I love what's going on here. And uh, they would have experienced all the, the good things, so to say, of being a Christian and being part of a church. And they would have grown in their faith until they went to be with the glory. Right? That's what we want. That's what we hope happens. But also what Paul knew through his experience, and he understood this, was that there would also be people who would come in, and they would experience what was going on, and maybe they would like it, but they would sit there and they would say, well, this, is, this part's pretty good. I like the praying, I like the sharing of the all things in common, but I don't know about this whole teaching what uh, these guys, the apostles, are, are teaching or handing down. I don't know about that part. I don't know about the teaching from from the scriptures of the Jews. I don't know about that part, but I like the rest. And so what happens in those situations oftentimes is people will come in and they experience uh, the beautiful parts of the church, but the teaching they're not so sure about. And then one of two things happens. They leave, which maybe surprises us because we sit there and think, well, wait, we worshiped with them. I saw them drop money into the offering plate. They they were involved even in a life group. They were involved in the life of the church. What happened? And then you have a conversation following up with the person. They say, you know, I just don't don't agree with the church. I don't agree with what the church is teaching on this position or that position. Then you have another group of people who maybe come in, and, and maybe they experience the church just a little bit, but for them it's just enough to know they don't want that. And so what do we do with those last two groups of people? Paul's addressing that here, and he wants Timothy to understand that there will be some people who come in, and they will not stay with you. They will not stay with you. Now, it does beg a question, what is going on within their own hearts? We would believe that if someone comes to the faith, so to say, and they depart from the faith, so to say, we call that apostasy, that they never were truly saved to begin with. After all, we need to keep close to our hearts scriptures like John chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, "'I give them eternal life, and they will never perish.'" No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand." So you look at two verses like that, and we can begin to develop a doctrine of perseverance of the saints, so to say. But we understand that there are those who attack the church. And one of the reasons is, is because when church and culture begin to collide, it's a natural collision course. This has happened ever since the beginning of time when Eve stood there in the garden and she listened to the things of the serpent and she was deceived and then Adam was deceived and sin entered into the world. And ever since then, worldly culture has clashed against Christian or church culture or godly culture and one of two things happens, right? Very rarely is it a standstill. Usually what happens is uh, the culture will come in and will attack the church and the church is left with one of two things to do. They either acquiesce to culture, and the church eventually stops becoming a church for all practical purposes, or they combat culture, and the church stands against culture and actually seeks to go and change culture. And that's what happens in evangelism when we go and we tell people about the love of Jesus. But Paul understands what's going, to go, what's going to happen in Ephesus. I mean, keep in mind, this was a pagan culture, a Roman Greco culture in which there were false gods being worshipped. There are places of idol worship literally happening in the city. And Paul wants Timothy to be aware of this and to do his best to not only protect his own heart and soul, but also to protect the church's heart and soul. And so here we have 1 Timothy 4:1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings and demons. Paul lays it out right there as so he's gone through the instructions so far for 1 Timothy to pastor the church at Ephesus. And if you think about it, you go back to chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, you see that what was happening here is Paul is returning to this topic of false teachers, but now he seems to personify it a little bit more in helping Timothy know what Timothy should do, but also what the church should do. And anytime we read an epistle, we also want to understand that what is true for the recipient of the letter, in this case Timothy, should also be true for all of us. Either to hold those in spiritual authority over us accountable or to look at, as we'll see today, some things that are good for our own souls too. Well, you have 1 Timothy 4.1, but thankfully, Paul doesn't take too long to get us all the way to verse 16, where he says, Keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, we have these two bookends. Here is the problem. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And here is the solution. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so here we have this issue in which there are false teachers coming up. And we have the solution. And in between all of this, we have the instructions from Paul on how to get from point A to point B. And this is the question that we ask. How do we watch our life in doctrine? If Paul was telling Timothy how he should watch his life in doctrine, this is where we look at Scripture and we can understand this was true for Timothy then, and it is true for us even today. And that brings us to our first point. If we are going to guard ourselves and protect ourselves from false teaching, we must affirm what is good. Now look at what Paul says. I already read verse 1, but let's pick it up in verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. What Paul is doing here is he's revealing to us, so to say, the recipe for false teachers. If we want to be able to identify who false teachers are, Paul tells us, he says, this is typically what happens. Through uh, they devote themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teaching of demons. This insincerity of liars, consciences are seared, they forbid marriage, require abstinence. What Paul is telling us is what false teachers will do is they will attack the truth of the word of God. Now, it's not so obvious, so to say, as one might seem. It's not as if Paul is saying, hey, those who worship Satan are setting up camp right outside the doors of our church. Watch out for them. No, the devil is so much more cunning than that. And so what Paul identifies as happening here is people are coming into the church or they're talking to Christians outside the walls of the church and they're saying, hey, you know what? Like you Christians do this marriage thing. Now, I'm not so sure about that. We could even take that to modern day context. You Christians, you do this, this marriage between one man and one woman and you're supposed to be married until one of you dies. I don't know so much about that, Right? And we look at this, and we could transpose it to today, and the message of the culture today is, get married if it's beneficial to you, and when it's no longer beneficial to you, don't be married. Now, it's not so explicit, right? But it's implicit in what we see happening in our culture. But notice what these deceitful spirits and these people who are, who are sinful and trying to teach false things do. They forbid marriage. Well, The Bible doesn't forbid marriage. The Bible encourages marriage, right? We just go back to Genesis 1 through 4, and we understand these key and foundational passages to an understanding of all of the Christian faith. God created everything, and it was beautiful and it was good. He created man and it was very good. And in between that we see that God created man and woman and he created marriage prior to the fall and Adam and Eve were there and supposed to be in love and harmony and in ruling over the created order. And so to say that marriage is not good is to say that what God said was good and very good is wrong. But this is what deceitful people do. This is what people who are trying to infuse wrong doctrine into the church do. Notice what he also does is he highlights the fact that they are attacking this idea of requ- this they, they're proposing this idea of requiring abstinence from foods that God created. Once again, you go back to Genesis. Why did God create the animals? Well, He created them to be used by Adam and Eve. He created them to be used for the glory of God and for Adam and Eve, for man, to maximize the usage of the animals. And so here you have people coming into the church saying, well, you shouldn't eat that type of food. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. What instead, what you need to do is you need to look at scriptures and you need to understand what is going on here. Now, for us, we have the benefit of of having 66 books in the Bible, and so we can go from 1 Timothy and we can say, okay, let's look at this a little bit more. What about this idea of requiring abstinence from food that God created to be received with Thanksgiving? Well, we could turn over to 1 Corinthians 10.31. And here Paul said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, keep in mind, this was going on. And Paul wants to make sure that there is a stopgap between the false teaching that is trying to attack and tear down the church and what is biblical truth. You see, this is what we have to understand. We have to affirm what is good based on what Scripture says, because what false teachers and false doctrine will do is it will attack God's word in a subtle way that eventually leads to a great departure from what is true. There's a New Testament scholar, Richard Yarbrough. He reminds us this. One of the ways that we can discern what is good and what is proper, of course, is looking at Scripture, but also through prayer. He says this about prayer. Prayer works in tandem with seeking God in and by His Word to live in a way that honors God in all aspects of life. To remain in the faith, we must be people who regularly read and study God's Word, So we know what he says and seek to apply that to our lives through prayer. To guard your life, be a person who continues to grow in the knowledge of the word and engage him in prayer. Paul wants us to understand that when we are confronted with whether or not something is good or bad, whether it is right or wrong, the standard by which we measure those things is The Word of God. And one of the ways we discern what the Word of God is saying and how to apply that to our lives is through prayer. Next, we must train ourselves in godliness. Now, Paul goes on to say, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Now, what Paul is continuing here is he not only is telling Timothy, in order to protect yourself and to protect the church and to guard everybody from false teachings and false doctrines, you need to affirm what is good, but you also have to train yourself. You also have to train yourself. Now, Paul is excellent at using analogies here, and he uses an analogy which we would understand, even in modern-day America, in the New Testament church. Paul goes back to something that is culturally relevant. He says, look, exercise. Exercise. And Ephesus was one of those places, and the Greco-Roman world was one of those places where they, um, they admired a healthy body, and they admired these things. And we even get the word gymnasium from the Greeks. And so you think of a kid going to gym class, gymnasium, exercise. We see the etymology of the word here in Scripture as well. But Paul says, look, the church will understand this, Timothy. They'll understand what I'm talking about here when I talk about exercise. People exercise in different ways, and they do different things. And even today, right, we go to the gyms, we pay money for personal trainers, we spend, spend a lot of money on healthy foods and all these things that are, that are good for our bodies, right? We should be good caretakers of the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body, according to Scripture. Well, Paul understands this, and he says, look, as valuable as physical training is, you need to do so much more with spiritual training. Why? Because physical training is only temporary. Spiritual training is for eternity. Now notice what else is happening here, what Paul is talking about. He wants us to train in the ways of God. As he's looking at this and he's writing these things to Timothy, he wants Timothy to understand, look, if you want to be a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to know what it is that is good that you should affirm, you need to train yourself in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, Timothy, of course, is drawing off of some of the letters that Paul has written, of course, but he's also drawing off of what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. And Timothy, remember, had the faith passed down to him from his grandmother to his mother to himself. And what Paul, knowing about Timothy's spiritual life, is saying, these are the things that you should hold on to. Now, what does Paul say? What's the option here? He says in verse 7, have nothing to do with it. Irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, I remember when I was um, in college, I went to... Uh, San Diego with Campus Crusade for a summer leadership project. And that summer, what was also happening was the church that I was a part of back home, the denomination was going to hold their annual meeting in Salt Lake City. And I found that to be very interesting. Salt Lake City, of course, is is home to uh, the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church. And at campus, when I was a college student, there were Mormon missionaries there as well. And I remember engaging in a dialogue with some of these Mormon missionaries, and we quickly learned that they believed what they believed, I believed what I believed, but having this opportunity to go on a summer leadership project, coupled with my church and the denomination having their annual meeting, it was great that our summer leadership project director was from Salt Lake City. Oh, well, this is Great. And I'm going to have an opportunity to kind of pick the brain of an evangelical Christian who lives in Salt Lake City, and I'll be able to take the wisdom that he imparts to me back to campus where I can now engage in helping these Mormons understand how they are wrong. Prideful position right there, which needed to be corrected on my behalf. Well, I remember sitting there talking to Rick was his name, the gentleman, the evangelical in Salt Lake City and I, and I was having a conversation on the patio there of, of, of his condo and I said, alright Rick I said, you know what, we're part of the same denomination and they're going to Salt Lake City and you know, we've got these Mormon missionaries back at campus and, and what, what do I need to know? What do I need to know in order to help them know that they're wrong? And I remember what Rick said even to this day. And he looked at me and he said, Paul, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're going to go back to campus and I could tell you all these things to study about Mormonism and you could become a Mormon apologist and and help them understand how that's wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong in terms of what they believe. But here's what you need to do, man. You just need to study the Word of God. You need to know what is right. Right? so that they can hear what's correct. And I thought, man, that's not the answer I was looking for, <laughs> right? I wanted the, the scholars and the articles, and I, I wanted to know how their, their, uh, their belief books were wrong and all these things. And Rick just left me with, go and study the Bible. Study the Bible. Know the Word of God. And here's what he was really saying, Right? bring this back to Timothy here. Train yourself in the faith. Train yourself in the faith. And we can Look at different ways that we can train, and they're all very good. We could look at spiritual disciplines, for instance, and we should practice fasting, and we should practice silence and solitude, and simplicity, and confession, and generosity, and, and all these wonderful things that are spiritual disciplines. But there is no substitute whatsoever for the study of the Word of God. And so we need to make that paramount in our spiritual training. We need to make that paramount in our, in our lives, in our personal lives, and in our work lives, and in our home life, and in our church life. Because this is what Paul is saying. If you're going to understand what it is that is good that you should affirm, you have to become students of the Word of God. And you have to train yourself day in and day out in order to know what is good, what is right, and what it is that you should affirm and believe. Paul wants Timothy to not only exercise, which was good for his physical body, but more importantly, he wanted him to exercise his spiritual soul. And we need to do so as well. This brings us to our third and last point. We must be consistent in our devotion to the Scripture. Very similar to training ourselves, but notice what Paul goes on to say. He tells Timothy what to do with this training, all right, that is based in the devotion to the scripture. He says, command and teach these things, verse 12, let no one despise you for youth, but set the believer an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and the exhortation to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Introduce yourself in them. Immerse yourself in them so that they may all see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul There in verse 10, to go back one verse, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. He now tells us what Timothy needs to do and subsequently what we need to do. Notice what he says here, this list of commands. Command these things. Teach these things. Set to the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. What Paul is saying is, I want you, Timothy, to prepare yourself and to prepare your church in such a way that when people come in and they begin to examine the Christian life, they begin to examine the doctrines of the church, they begin to examine your speech and your conduct and your life and your living, I want you to do what is holy and what is right so instead of one day them saying, you are a hypocrite, they say, he is the real deal. And that's what we all want in our lives, right? We realize we will come across skeptics. We realize we will come across people who are going to dissect our lives and look for that one misstep. We realize we're going to come across people who, instead of investigating the faith, are skeptic of the faith. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is, live your life in such a way that is consistent with the Word. And when you live your life in a way that is consistent with the Word, others will be encouraged to live their lives in a way that is consistent with the Word and thereby bring glory to God. And what does that do within the church? It strengthens the church. The individual spiritual workout now becomes a group spiritual workout. And we all, by holding each other accountable and encouraging one another in these things, we strengthen the church and we become more effective in sharing the gospel and letting the neighbor know whose life is falling apart, Jesus is there for you. Letting the coworker know Jesus is there for you. Letting the family member know Jesus is there for you. And then they go home and they contemplate the words and the offer that you've made, and they sit there and they say, you know what, I know his life isn't perfect, I know her life isn't perfect, but they keep coming back to Jesus. They keep coming back to Jesus, and so by being consistent with your life and being consistent in your spiritual training, what you are doing is you are actually creating yourself to be a better witness for Jesus, and that's why Paul wants Timothy to train in this way, and subsequently, he wants the church to train in this way. There's a story of a devout father whose son was studying for the ministry, and the son decided to go to Europe for an advanced degree. The father was worried that the simple faith that his son had learned would become become spoiled by sophisticated and unbelieving professors. Before his son left, he said to his son, don't let them take away Jonah. Don't let them take away Jonah, he admonished. Figuring the swallowed by a great fish story might be the first part of the Bible to go. And if you've ever studied liberal theology, it it really is. It really is. Two years later, the son returned and the father asked, Do you still have Jonah in your Bible? The son laughed, Jonah? Jonah? That story isn't even in your Bible. Well, of course it is. It's in my Bible. No, it's not. Why don't you go check? The dad gets the Bible off the shelf and flips the pages, and there's no Jonah. He goes to the table of contents. He finds out where it's supposed to be, and he opens it up there, and he realizes that the three pages of Jonah have been cut out of his Bible. Astonished, the son picks up on this and says, See, there's no Jonah. And he says, Dad, what's the difference whether I lose the book of Jonah through studying under non-believers or you lose it through neglect. And if we're honest, that's the temptation for most of us, to neglect the word of God, to neglect the training of our souls. We need to continue to train ourselves with the word of God to protect the faith. LifeWay Research did a study on spiritual practices, and and the question was, what spiritual practices lead to the greatest spiritual health, the greatest spiritual maturity? And what they found was this, quote, according to our research, the input goal of reading the Bible on a regular basis was one of the greatest predictors to maturity across the output goals. To put it another way, reading your Bible positively affects the ability to consistently obey God and deny self. To serve God, serve others. Share Christ. Exercise your faith. Seek God. Build relationships and be unashamed about your faith. What are we doing? If you're not reading your Bible consistently, the encouragement is to do so. Start with 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, Read the Bible. Listen to the Word. Study the Word. Expose yourself to the Word. And when we put into practice what we begin to read, we begin to then see life change. What do we do with all this, right? Back to our big idea. To keep the faith, we must watch our life and our doctrine. How do we do that? We affirm what is good. We train ourselves. And then, of course, we understand that we need to be consistent and devoted to Scripture. Closing illustration the famous Scottish pastor Robert Murray Machane once reminded a fellow pastor who was going to study German theology. He said, I know you will apply yourself to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man. And what I mean by that is the heart. How diligently the Calvary officer keeps his saber clean and and ready and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. It is not great talents God blesses so much as a likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. That is a powerful weapon. And so it is with us. If we really want to be powerful for the kingdom of God, if we really want to express our love for Jesus and what we're learning from the words of Scripture, we need to diligently prepare and study in our own lives, in our church life, so that we can impact the lives that are outside and protect the lives that are inside. And so let's take Paul's encouragement to Timothy to heart. And let's be people of the word so that we can not only grow in our faith but be able to realize the attacks on our faith when they come. And instead of, being, instead of succumbing to those attacks, we actually push back. Let's pray.